Tech Post podcast with me, Shawnee Ryan, and Dave O'Neill, where we cover all the main stories in the world of technology. This is brought to you in association with Limerick City Community Radio. And we're starting out here in Limerick with the recent announcement from the University of Limerick of the new immersive software engineering course. And if you're someone who is in uh, has an interest in software or computers, then uh, this is going to be of particular interest to you. And I'm delighted to be joined now here by two people who've been involved in the recent course uh, initiative uh, launched by University of Limerick, which is the immersive software engineering course and I'm joined by Professor Tiziana Margaria and JJ Collins who were both involved in bringing this to fruition. So uh, just to start with you Tiziana you might give me just a quick introduction and let me know what your uh, role is in this. Sure uh, thank you for having us. Um, my uh I'm a professor of software systems um, in the computer science and information systems department at the University of Limerick. For the ISC program, I'm going to be uh, the course director. And uh, my normal areas of research are typically software systems, software integration, large systems, software modeling, formal methods. So whatever has to do with, uh, you know, large landscapes of software. Oh, great. And yourself, JJ? Good morning, Sean. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you. So I'm a lecturer in UL. I lecture software architecture and machine learning department of computer science and information systems. I'm course director for computer science and immersive software engineering. I have the privilege of being head of residencies. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so this new course um, obviously is getting a lot of attention at the moment and uh, I have to say it looks like a fabulous course. The the format of it is really, really interesting. So can you maybe just uh, want to just introduce the course and, and like how this came about? There's a lot of big names involved behind this. Yes, so um, it has been quite a long, long trip. Uh, we have already uh, spent almost two years um, developing and uh, putting this this course into existence. Um, it started actually with uh, with an ask from companies, in particular uh, Stripe and Intercom, uh, basically asking, okay, so why are we uh, educating computer scientists and software engineers uh, this way, and not uh, in a in a much more immersive, much more pragmatic, much more um, uh, relevant, so to say, way, so that the students have a completely different level of experience when they uh, leave the programs. I mean, uh, we've seen uh, that many companies are actually taking fantastic graduates from our department or other departments in the country, and then they have internal training programs because, uh, unfortunately, uh, the theory that is uh, that is taught in the uh, in the courses in the four years of a bachelor homes typically is not uh, tied to the to the praxis that we have out there and so uh, basically the the um, uh, the job okay for us was uh, just imagine that you had the resources okay the limiting factor is always the resources just imagine that you could find the resources how would you organize it and that's where actually where uh, okay Steve Kinsella called me I called JJ and the three of us uh, started thinking and brainstorming and basically you know saying okay so we have to actually design the course completely the other way around uh, basically have a much more um, uh, intensive mingling uh, with the reality in the companies, uh, several experiences, not 
not just one in the companies and that's where the concept of residencies then uh, that is tied to the to the medical residencies and uh, uh, practice uh, for teachers uh, which is practiced in the country came in and this is something that JJ is going to introduce later but uh, the connection between the immersion in uh, leading edge uh, practice and theory of uh, computer science and software engineering on campus in uh, in a studio setting practice oriented uh, driven by project on one side and then this intersection with the companies that's basically the first uh, determining characteristic that is completely different from uh, other programs yeah so like the main difference on this course now is you you mentioned there the residency there that's kind of common to the medical profession that on this course this is actually going to be is it half over half your time is actually going to be spent out in the uh in 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 industry working with these companies uh, is that, that correct yeah that's correct sean so i just to re- recap that, uh, philanthropic donors, they will ask us what innovations we could, could we introduce to computer science education with additional funding. And, and we have four key innovations. One is residencies, I'll talk in a minute about that. The second is learning by doing professional practice. Uh, the third is we want to have studio-based type learning, so no longer sitting in your traditional large lecture theatres and listening to a boring old lecturer like me up the front talking at most so they, it's learning by doing true group-based projects, peer-based learning. And the other thing, this is an accelerated program. So it's four years you graduate with an MSc. Oh, okay. That, and, that's a, and, yeah. But, yeah, but we, we achieve that by you don't have long summer holidays. We have a 40-week academic calendar. So right, and that's it, probably facilitated by the fact that the, the student will be in the work environment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can aid that. So if I go back to the residencies briefly, uh, um, there are 45% of the overall program of the four years. There are five residencies, and as you said, the motivation there, if we look at nursing education, um, doctor education, teacher education, they go out on on residencies to develop or enhance their professional practice and competencies in the workplace. So we want to do the same. So for example, if a doctor is a trainee doctor going out on a rotation, for example, a surgical rotation, they might be expected to do an appendicectomy. So like for us in a software engineering context, when a student goes on residency, there are certain targets that they need to hit and they'll be graded on that. So this is uh, different to the co-op program. Can I stress the co-op program in UL and other inter- internship programs that are rolled out by various institutions across uh, the state? These are really good, but what we're doing is we're adding value to them, more of them, uh, and uh, we stay deeply connected with the students when they're on residency. Yeah, because uh, I do remember like when I was in UL all those years ago and uh, we did get to go out on co-op. And I think uh, when, I, when I look back on it, most of my other colleagues who had gone to different colleges, they were very, um, the, the, the whole idea of the, the co-op uh, placement was very new at the time and they weren't getting this opportunity and it was something very unique to UL. And I think a lot of people have copied you since then. And this is taking that one step further, yeah. 
Yes, the uh, UL has been an innovator in many dimensions. Uh, the COP, of course, has been one that extremely successful um, uh, and and has been uh, picked up by many other uh, many other uh, universities. Um, I've been head of department for five years until until very recently. So uh, not only in computer systems or computer games development, but also in our other courses like digital media design and music media and performance technology. We have seen that actually when there is a good match between what the students can do at that point, what the student want to become in uh, in the future, and what the company actually can offer, they have been really transformative experiences, right? And many students have asked us, okay, why do we have it only once, okay? And the problem is scale, as usual. I mean, the COP office, as JJ was saying, is doing a fantastic job, but it is doing it for thousands and thousands of students every year. So, uh, taking this other mentality, okay, just try to have something that is more constrained, more bespoke, okay, just concentrated on this specific uh, specific uh, subject area. Uh, what could we do that is completely different? And, uh, you know, learn from the best, including the co-op uh, model, but then uh, go further and, and make more of it and, and more integrated. Well, the idea is that now we are going to have uh, formal partnerships with companies. So, instead of having a recruitment of companies for uh, the COP year by year. I mean, there are, of course, recurrent partners. I mean, we visit uh, steadily uh, students on COP in the same institutions because they, you know, they know the courses, they know, uh, they know the, the, what the students can do, etc. And so we have uh, repeat relationships. But for the immersive software engineering, we want to have a much more intertwined relationship between uh, the, the companies that sign up up front and, uh, and the residency program and also some other initiatives um, that, that are going to have to do with uh, um, uh, outreach uh, with outreach to schools uh, with uh, uh, gender and diversity uh, so to say in STEM not only in computer science uh, and uh, various other aspects that are more maybe related to research embedding in the companies so it's three pillars at least uh, of collaboration that we are proposing and uh, the fact that we are having uh, a community of companies that are our partners actually enhances the dialogue enhances the level of co-design both of the experience on campus, which is immersive yeah. and transformative and very hands-on, and also our in integration, so to say, in the experience in the residencies yeah, from the side some, of the IC team. There's some great companies. I'm just looking here on the UL website and the list of companies like the, the, the likes of Stripe, which is obviously founded by two Limerick men, which we're very proud of, and um, Analog, uh, some great names that we very uh, well known to some people like Shopify, Shutterstock, Airlink. Facebook involved in this. So will these residencies be like international? The people, the students could be placed anywhere or is it just localized to Irish offices? Yeah, it, uh, can I just uh, stress that we've uh, poss uh, possibly another 10 names to add to that list in the intervening right. two weeks since we did launch on the 24th. So with respect to where students take up residency, uh, it will be Limerick, it will be Dublin, it will be London, it will be Ottawa, it will be San Francisco, etc. I'd like to get into Singapore as well and you know, the Far East. So it'll be inter both our Irish and international residencies. Um, the second thing about the residencies that there are five diff different residencies in the programme. So our expectation is that students will rotate amongst different companies because that gives you the skill sets to be flexible, robust, and, and be able to adapt quickly to new working environments, 
new teams, etc. Yeah, and would it, like if a, a student was doing something very specific in a particular residency that maybe took more time, would that be an option for that student to stay with that company? I know you're saying you prefer for them to rotate, but would that be an option that they might do a residency twice in one company or something? Yeah, yeah, that that will especially when it comes to the last residency in year four, and the students are completing a master's dissertation, okay. and it's likely for that they're going to go back to a previous company that has a, a catalogue of projects that they have a deep interest in. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, that, it, it just sounds amazing. It's a great new approach. And uh, the, I suppose the question I'd have on the residency, with, would the plan be that this might roll out to other courses in UL as well? Do, do you know, have you, has anybody talked on that level? Because like the co-op is so good. And I do remember when I went on co-op, being able to apply what I learned. And it actually gave you such a great view of like, because when you're in learning environment, you might not see exactly how this gets applied. But when you're out there, you suddenly realize what you've been taught is applicable in in real life and it gives you an appetite to learn more when you get back after the the co-op so uh, like could this be something that could roll out to other courses well, uh, we definitely hope uh, that uh, all the defining traits uh, that are special to this course now, mm-hmm. they are going to be actually rolled out uh, and taken up, uh, especially if it is in UL, but also elsewhere in the country at some later point. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely the students that we had, uh, sometimes uh, they already organized themselves uh, um, uh, other internships uh, before yeah. or after the official co-op. Unfortunately, this was um, mostly uh, connected with uh, some kind of relationships, uh, some kind of, you know, some somebody knowing somebody, uh, so to say. And so um, from the point of view of inclusion um, and of uh, equality, okay, um, some people had better opportunities than others. And so with these residencies approach uh, by having many of them and by offering them with specific catalog of of, uh, skills uh, and typical to each of these uh, individual residencies, we really hope uh, that there will be, uh, you know, a much wider opportunity for everybody to do, uh, to to take uh, up all these skills um, and to have the experiences that they really are are formative for their career later on. Okay. All right. Okay. If Uh, I could just add to that, Sean, a a quick statement that part of our objective is to open a discussion with the government about funding for computer science education because immersive software engineering there's a significant gap between what we get from the government and the actual cost of running this program and we are really fortunate to have industry partners who are providing philanthropic donations and also supporting the residency program directly so in the long term if we want to um, rule this out to other programs not only within UL but across the country particularly in computer science education I think we need as a country to revisit how we fund computer science education at third level. Okay. Right. Okay. Very good point there. Now on that, I suppose that's something that can be taken further. Um, right. So let's just get into the course itself in terms of the, the time that you'll spend within UL. And you were saying it's, it's a lot more project based rather than lecture based. So what kind of things could a student uh, expect when they're in the course itself, like in the learning environment? Yes, so when they join us, uh, the first course joins us in September 2022, uh, they are going to actually have block teaching instead of the typical, you know, five modules or six modules in parallel, one with the other, and basically learning different subjects that are uh, very difficult to connect with each other while they are being taught, they are going to have shorter, concentrated blocks of seven to ten weeks, 
okay, uh, that are going to take the content of approximately two to three modules and organize it in a much more uh, intertwined and coherent way so that we are going to give uh, an immersive experience again in the theory and uh, projects, team-based projects in every, pro in every, uh, in every block. Um, where um, basically starting from challenges or from projects uh, either coming from research from their own interest or from the uh, par uh, from the partner companies they will learn the theory by pool so what do I need to know what I need to be able to do in order to solve this problem in order to you know innovate in a certain direction and produce a new new solution to something uh, what can we do collaboratively okay so it is much more collaborative it is much more integrated it is much more purpose purpose oriented so that right. students actually all the time know why why they are learning something why they are doing something and they can basically then present the outcomes um, you know uh, in some fashion in some ways so to say to to, uh, uh, to, to customers to stakeholders uh, to other to the colleagues uh, to other people uh, weeks after having joined the program and this over and over again in all the blocks Oh, so right, that's okay. very different from the uh, from the typical traditional uh, approach in computer science yeah. today. Yeah, very new, very innovative way of do, of, of learning. And uh, so the the people out there who might be listening now and thinking of applying for this course, like the, the like what are, what are the criteria that they're going to need need to meet to get into this course? Or have you any advice? Like the, there's obviously some young people out there now and they're interested in software, they're interested in getting involved in computers. So like what what direction should we t they be taking now to prepare for this course? Well, they should be uh, willing to work uh, in this uh, integrative environment and uh, uh, showcase already from the very beginning that they uh, they wish and they desire actually this kind of, uh, of environment. And that's the reason why we actually don't only consider the CAO points or the living certificate or any other international equivalent for it, but there is going to be a portfolio. Um, that was going my to be next question, actually. Yes, yeah, going it, to be considered it, with that. And yeah. um, I don't know, JJ, do you want to say something about the portfolio, maybe? Mm. So there is a requirement for a H4 in mathematics. H4 in mathematics. Because right. a, a, uh, in computing, problem solving, abstraction, those type of uh, skill sets are embodied and demonstrated well in mathematics. We also have a new requirement for submission of a portfolio. And the purpose of the portfolio, it's an avenue or a pathway for students to demonstrate vision, leadership, creativity, curiosity, etc. And all of these are attributes we're looking for in new entrants that will lead to a successful experience throughout the four years. So there will be more information made available over the next few months on the portfolio submission process and as well guidelines on the actual portfolio itself and we will be rolling out workshops to support students who are interested in that. Brilliant. So the, the portfolio, you're kind of taking the idea that has traditionally been uh, like in the College of Art and Design, that people going for those courses would have a portfolio, uh, whereas before in normal uh, university courses, you're going in on the merit of your CAO application. So that that's actually bringing that over to the computer department is is brilliant. It's, uh, it's a really great step forward on that. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. So um, on the, like for more information, obviously, on the UL website so that people can just look up um, the immersive software engineering uh, information. Yeah. Is there any other information that they need to know before applying for this? 
Yes, I would like maybe to uh, just talk briefly to the potential apply, apply, um, appliant, um, sorry, potential uh, students, uh, applicants uh, to, uh, to the program, but also in particular to the parents. So what we are trying to do with this program is actually to change the perception of the profession as a computer scientist or as a software engineering in uh, in the in the society so um, uh, people and students uh, who would think normally of going to a completely different career uh, so not not going into computer science not going into stem maybe uh, but you know thinking of uh, law medicine uh, nursing um, uh, other <laughs> other areas completely um, creative areas as well okay uh, please give a thought uh, to uh, this new kind of, uh, of education. Um, we know that uh, by experience, uh, by experience in particular with a lot of courses, a lot of people that are taking, um, uh, that are starting a second career. So they are taking our courses, our uh, continuous and professional education courses coming from a completely different background. They are completely able to do computer science. They think like computer scientists. They are organized. They are, uh, they have engagement and creativity. They are fantastic problem solvers but just when they were young they didn't think about this as an opportunity for themselves we know by experience that they can and so it would be lovely if we with this kind of uh, offering of the course we would also give uh, the opportunity to younger uh, people maybe directly coming from school uh, younger girls in particular i mean i'm myself uh, an ex electrical engineer turned into computer scientist turned into uh, company founders and uh, now researcher in in three diverse uh, research centers in ireland so i mean uh, you're changing career all the time uh, please give a thought in this direction come and talk to us we are going to uh, offer opportunities to get to know you know uh, what we are going to do to give you an opportunity to have simulate so to say a day in the life of a student in ISE in the first semester for example um, uh, yeah just just give a thought to, to this okay brilliant can I add to that Sean you can uh, just uh, thank you briefly um, many years ago, I think the dinosaurs were, were still roaming outside, but I was lucky in secondary school that a teacher brought uh, in a computer and ran extracurricular classes. And I fell in love with software engineering then, and that love is alive and strong today. So it's a wonderful, wonderful profession. Um, every day you're creating something new and you get that huge sense of achievement from it. So just encourage people to maybe dip their toes into uh, software engineering have have uh, email us email Tiziana the course director and uh, just for directions on how I can start that process it, it's good when you're filling in the CEO to make an informed decision the second thing is the amount of career pathways in the software engineering profession are huge and it's across various domains healthcare if you look at uh, fintech, etc., manufacturing, supply chain, it's it's and in public service and in NGOs, so it's it's all it's unlimited. And the third thing is software is having a huge impact upon the structure and how society works. So especially to um, the female audience who are in secondary school thinking about their CEO, um, just ask them to give it serious consideration. We need more female participation in computer science because we need that viewpoint, that perspective in the applications that are being developed and ruled out 
told of us uh, that we use in everyday life. Well, that's a very important point, JJ, because like if you look at everything that's happening nowadays and you, you give a good list of different broad range of industries there and applications, but everybody, and I suppose it's, it's brought it home to a lot of people with the, the last year of the, the issues that have been there around the pandemic. Um, people have gotten a lot more um, innovative in like, if you look at the amount of video conferencing systems that are out there with all the different add-ons that are available to them and people have come up with some very innovative things that have been done, even down to like, the, the, if you look at online table quizzes or something as simple as that, that people brought up some very um, unique solutions to being locked in their homes and needing entertainment. Now, if you take that and let's say when we have, when we get back to normality, that there's so much out there that all the kids nowadays are so used to the tablets, the computers, which like when I know when I was growing up, like there was, nobody had a computer at home. So like to, to have um, access to the technology that's there today, uh, it, no matter what industry you're going to be in, um, even if it's just developing the next app that's going to go viral and out there, it, it, this is just a great starting point for them. But also in fashion and design, for example, mm. in music, uh, in the creative arts, um, anything that has to do with the public in general, whether it is about health, about the services, the service industry and so on. So we are really pleased of the diversity of uh, uh, branches and the diversity of characteristics of the products and services that our partner companies are offering because it is really um, starting to mimic uh, the diversity of the importance of software in the society in in a social technical system so to say as as it is today and so please just look at uh, uh, you know uh, take your favorite hobby or take your favorite uh, you know um, ideal career path or whatever and try to look at how much software and IT uh, is contained in it yeah yeah and just one, uh, one other point as well. I think there's this perception abroad that software engineers are geeks, effectively, or to use that term, and it comes from programs such as is it the Big Bang Theory on, on TV, yeah. etc. And the reality is the complete opposite. To be a good software engineer, you need to be a good communicator, people-oriented, um, enjoy working in teams, and be very good at group dynamics, etc. Uh, and these are essential characteristics for a successful uh, software engineer. So to put it in plain English, in the four years of the immersive software engineering students will have great crack and they'll have a full student experience in a great time. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So um, I suppose the, the website is software-engineering.ie. Uh, that's where you have all the details. And of course, your email address, Tiziana, is there on that so they can get in, in touch with you on that. So I suppose I would encourage anybody, I know myself having a bit of a software background and uh, having a, a, a kind of a hobby job of being on the radio talking about software. It just shows where it can lead to as well. So uh, I'd like to thank you for joining me here on Limerick City Community Radio today and uh, giving me your valuable time and to talk about the course and I have to applaud you and congratulate you for bringing this to Limerick and uh, University of Limerick and uh, it's, it's kind of a one of a kind or it's, it's a first in Ireland anyway isn't it? It's uh, actually the first in the world. Oh Wow. Yeah, we, we have an international advisory board, both in industry and also in academia, and we um, have experience actually of uh, innovation in education from our mm. previous careers. And uh, um, 
we can say without any any doubt, so to say, this is special, this is unique, uh, and Limerick is where it's happening. That's brilliant. Okay, so uh, Tatiana and JJ, thank you for joining me here today, and hopefully we might get to talk again maybe next year before the course uh, kicks off. You might come on and give some details about the portfolio or something. And the website, once again, where you can get more information on the immersive software engineering course is www.software-engineering.ie or, of course, you can just go to the University of Limerick's website at www.ul.ie for more information. Right, Dave, let's see what What's happening around the world of tech at the moment so uh let's kick off here with some there's been some announcements in the last few weeks about uh advancements in batteries and uh specifically like batteries that would go into electric cars and um there's a couple of companies coming out with different things for solid state batteries now dave um have you heard any a bit about this not a whole lot, to be honest with you. Mm. Well, so General Motors have and, and Volkswagen teamed up with, um, I think it's Solid Energy Systems from uh, Singapore. And uh, they're, they're saying that these batteries, they're like, I know Toyota are trying to bring out a solid state battery. They've been working on that a uh, lot and they say that they'll have something coming out this year. I suppose the, the, the big thing they're going to get is uh, more range and yep. faster charging time and uh, the difference between them and the normal lithium-ion batteries which are called wet batteries because they have to have a like a, a liquid inside them to deliver the charge across and uh, these solid state i suppose it's kind of like what's happening in the world of uh, hard drives you know the way the ssd solid state drives came out uh, to replace your normal spinning drive and yeah. um, they brought a big uh, increase in terms of performance on those. So it's the same type of thing we're seeing in the batteries that they're trying to do these batteries with uh, solid components inside them and no liquid, which obviously will give a lot of benefits, uh, I suppose, in not heating up as much and not overheating uh, is one of the big benefits. But they're claiming that these things will be able to be charged, fully charged in about five to ten minutes. Now, that's going to, yeah, that's going to bring the whole electric vehicle forward an awful lot because now stopping and charging up your battery is as quick as actually just like filling up your car with petrol or diesel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Take a pit stop, you know, have a cup of coffee or something. But um, uh, how about longevity? Well, uh, see that, no, I haven't, I don't actually know on that one, but being solid state, they're they're saying that they're going to have a much better um, lifetime and Mm -hmm. a longer range in the car. And uh, like if, if if the batteries have a longer range, then that means they won't need to be charged as much. Yeah, so that's true. Now, one of the things it could do is if you have a battery that can be uh, can be charged that quickly. So yep. if, you, if you're only stopping uh, for five minutes, say, to charge up your battery, then that means they can put smaller batteries in the car. They don't have to worry about range as much. 
So, like, if, if you take a, a typical car at the moment, they're saying it's kind of giving you 400 kilometers range, which we all know in real life kind of equates to something more kind of 250 to 300 because the very second you turn on anything inside in the car, like lights or or um, heaters Radio. or anything inside in it, it, it just drains it straight away. So, <clears throat> if, um, if they can... But get rid of range anxiety, which a lot of people with electric cars say that that's the big part of it, the range anxiety. Where's mm. my next charge point going to be and how long am I going to have to wait to charge it up? So if they can get rid of that, that means they can cut the size of the batteries that they have in, which obviously reduces weight. And that means that you've got a much smaller battery pack and you can just stop and charge it up in five to ten minutes. Yeah, that's right. Of course, the more batteries you put put in there, the the the, the more the car weighs, and of course, then that reduces the the um, the range as well. When you think about it, so I yeah. mean, there must be some sort of uh, equation that they have to put into uh, into practice where they they determine okay, so where does it become like uh, diminishing returns or whatever yeah. the case may be. Mm. So you know, like. Toyota, Toyota are kind of ahead of the game a lot with battery technology for mm. hybrids and electric vehicles because they've been they've been putting these in since the late nineties into like you know the, the Prius was one of their first uh, yeah. commercially successful hybrids and a lot of the other manufacturers are kind of late to the game in the last few years whereas Toyota have had so many years of developing these yeah. and there's, there's there's still an awful lot of Toyota cars on the road that are 20 years old and the battery packs are still running perfectly in them. Uh, I'm specifically referring to the hybrids there, yeah. not uh, fully electric vehicles. But uh, like with, with these advances, it's going to make, it's going to be a big game changer. And that's going to feed down into our own stuff that we have, like, like our mobile phones, uh, everything that we have, iPads or anything at all, even the laptops, you're you're just going to get much better battery life out of these. Yeah, uh, it seems so, like it, yeah. Yeah, and it gets rid of the, the heating problem of batteries as well and overheating. Right. In a confined uh, space too, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if, um, if these things can be charged so much quicker and mm-hmm. if they hold the charge, like if they deliver a longer like a range in a car but a, a longer lifespan in a device like a handheld device then you don't have to charge it as often which means that uh, you don't have you know a lot of batteries have this kind of memory effect o- over a longer term or is that kind of is that kind of gone now the, the memory no, I effect don't think is so. like batteries lose capacity over time they do mm. yeah so yeah this this is pretty good uh, like e- even if you take public transport it probably means that like it's it's going to allow uh say like driverless vehicles um because they can be charged a lot quicker so who knows what will go mm. yeah absolutely and like the one thing i guess i mean if i was let's say in the market for a car right now what would turn me off an electric vehicle uh, the most i think would be the potential resale value and that's you've hit the nail on the head there with some of the mm. electric vehicles at the moment. You, I, I've heard of of cases where people with like maybe a six year old car going to trade it in at the main dealer where they bought it, and yep. they won't they won't accept it. They yeah, because the battery, yeah, in. life would yeah. be diminished at that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you like it's grand when you're buying like say a used combustion engine car that you, you know based on the mileage what mm-hmm. kind of condition it's going to be in. Yeah. So something with a hundred thousand kilometers up on it, you kind of say, yeah, that that's still good for another hundred thousand more. But yeah, with more, a battery yeah. after four or five years, you have no idea whether that battery is is good or whether it's going to need to be replaced. And they are expensive items. Exactly that. that yes. Replaced. And like it can be more than the price of the car sometimes, and for or well, mm-hmm. what the car is worth if you're buying a second hand. So. That's it's it. Uh, it's not economical. Yeah. You might as yeah. well uh, take it to the, scra- the scrapyard at that point. You know, yeah. that's the thing. But I think we could see, like, say, even electric trains and things like that. In, in so, if you had urban rail, uh, then those things, if they're charged by batteries, um, yeah, powered by batteries, then you could see a, a good bit. I, I just just want to speaking of urban rail. I know there was something came out recently uh, from the Limerick Chamber. They were talking about the there's going to be some investment in light rail around Limerick City um, this could be this could be the thing that we need so can you just think of it Dave can you imagine yeah. like a, a driverless vehicle um, like a rail something on rail you know when you go over to some of the airports in Europe you get on these uh, little kind of transport shuttles. Yeah. yeah exactly that take you out to the to the gate so can you imagine something like that um, like we have we have a, a, a brilliant unused rail system there that goes from the cement factory uh, all the way over towards uh, like the Ballysamian Road right um, I, I would think that like the county council should be looking at that and it goes at the back of Father Russell Road it goes up right by the Crescent Shopping Centre they could very easily put a few different uh, stops there some little terminals Uh, it goes all the way over to the Bally Simon Road and when you think with all the the companies over there all the car dealers and Northern Trust and all the different um, different businesses in the Eastway Business Park um, it'd be very easy to ch- divert that route and take it down into our kind of Castle Troy, Anacati, that area. So it, you could have a very good light rail system with an electric driverless system that just is transporting people over and back across the city. Yeah, and electric rail isn't a new thing, but electric rail powered by battery, that's different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. You see those level crossings uh, around um, the the uh, the cement factory area, even uh, at the back of um, uh, what's the name of that road that goes towards Childers Road. There's a level crossing on that back road that goes between oh, door doors and Childers Road. road. Yeah. I can't think of the name yeah. of it now. Ross Bryan. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. So, like, there's so many areas that they could just put little stops along. Same as kind of like the Lewis system in Dublin. We could have something Mm. like that. And the railway system is there. It's ready to go. Exactly, yeah. They might have to fix it up or whatever, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who knows? Let's hope for the battery technology to come on board pretty fast and maybe it would be a game changer because, like, you know, everything we use nowadays, like, is battery this, battery that. And it's one of the big problems that battery technology just hasn't come a huge, hasn't come a long way in the last 20 years. No. Like, in practice, you know, they've come up with theories, they've come up with potential new technology, but nothing has come out in the mainstream yet. Yeah, this could be it. This could be it. Mm. I'd love to see it.
All right. Okay. Uh, let's uh, start off. So with the IE domain registry, uh, who we have had on the show a couple of times before, and uh, they have announced their IE Digital Town Awards for 2021. So what are the town awards? So they, um, they're to promote awareness, knowledge, use and understanding of digital in Ireland by its citizens, businesses and communities. And there are 14 awards in a number of categories with a total prize fund of over 100,000. Nice. Mm, yeah. So um, people are asked to enter and uh, they can go on to the IE Registry's website, which is weare.ie. And uh, you can go and find all the information about the digital town inside there and enter. And uh, the closing date for registrations on that is 5 p.m. on the Friday, the 23rd of April. So that's fast approaching, Dave. So people want to get in pretty fast now. Yep. Uh, you can find out all about the... Um, all about the terms and conditions there on their website. And uh, what they're looking for is uh, towns can enter uh, digital projects uh, demonstrating how digital approaches and projects have contributed to the betterment of the town and the wider town community. So um, I suppose over the last few uh, years, there's been a few of these uh, digital towns and um, this is uh, something that's nice. Uh, that if uh, any of the towns out there can, uh, can show that they're digitally aware and come up with a nice project spec on this. Yep, absolutely. To get into. Um, I think there's, there's actually a podcast on their website as well from Irish Tech News. So you can go and listen to that as well. And um, I'd be saying to get online and get entering on that pretty fast. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know anybody, the IE registry are the ones who control the .ie domain names in Ireland. And um, for example... LCCR.ie Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. So um, go and uh, get in on that straight away. Right, so Dave, that's the IE Digital Towns. Um, and again, the website is weare.ie. So Dave, let's move on with a small bit of news about... Um, there's some an interesting thing I read during the week there about the amount of cyber attacks. Now, we've covered on this we have. show loads of times, Dave, about the scams, the, the different um, things that are out there, the phishing attacks, and um, whether it's by email or um, kind of the social engineering that goes into things. Mm. But there's some statistics that came out during the week there. And um, I think uh, some of them were from, uh, they were from the Palo Alto, which make a big firewall system. Yep. And um, some of the reports are that there was over <clears throat> the three-month period from November 2020 to January 2021, uh, which is just gone, that there was over a million cyber attacks launched from within Russia across Oof. the world. And um, that's, uh, that's a pretty large amount of attacks. Yeah, for three months, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the most of these, um, well, kind of, I suppose about 50% of these attacks were what's called code execution attacks. So Dave, what's a code execution attack? <laughs> well, my guess would be that it tries to execute a piece of code on your computer so it can take some stuff away from yes, you. Yes, whether it's your, your personal information or your passwords or whatever that, mm-hmm. or even just a keylogger of some sort. Yeah. yeah, and it's not just the, the PCs, it's for also um, against websites. So... Okay. Um, so, like, I've often had people ask me about these things, like, oh, if, if there's a website there, how do they break into these websites? Mm. So, to, just to give one example, uh, a lot of websites will have a search form, 
mm-hmm. or a login form. Yeah. All right. So you go to login with your username and password, or you go and search for a product on a website. So you go in and you just type in, I'm looking for um, anything, something for my home. Yeah. All right. And um, most of these search boxes, they take the words that are put in and they create a bit of code behind to actually go and search in the database for the information that you're looking for. Mm. Um, and even, even something as simple as like when you type in something into Google, that's looking up a database to find out websites that have information about the keyword that you typed in. Mm-hmm. So the code execution there, um, you might explain, Dave, about SQL injection. You know all about SQL injection here now. Absolutely. So basically uh, a website would, uh, any website with any kind of input, uh, mm-hmm. like a form, anything that takes input from a user, it could be susceptible to an SQL injection attack. And if you type in a certain phrase into the, uh, ser- into the box, search box or login box, it might uh, actually run a little bit of code on the database that exposes the database, maybe might even log you in without a password, or mm. it might expose the database um, users and, and passwords or payment information if it's stored there, anything like that, basically. So it's just basically an attack where you basically take control of the site's database in some way, shape or form to exploit yeah. it. Uh, it could be a database or the file system. It could be, yeah. yeah. So it, it could expose the, the file structure that are in there. Yeah. So... Um, so the like the the most common uh, website t- type of websites that are attacked are WordPress websites, which is no yeah. uh, surprise there, considering that there's so many um, there's so many uh, different websites out there across the world running WordPress. I think over a third of the websites in the world at this stage now are running uh, some version of WordPress. Mm. Um, also Drupal, which is another uh, content management system mm-hmm. out there. Um, another one called uh, Think PHP which is another PHP driven uh, system. Okay. And then obviously on uh, D-Link or Linksys routers, which are really? like the uh, you know, the routers that connect your mm. your your broadband to your broadband provider. So it'll be the yeah. box in the corner that does the the um, your Wi-Fi and yeah. then connects to your telephone line. It's funny because Linksys yeah. are owned by Cisco, I think. Are they? I think so, yeah. Oh. At least they were. I'm not sure if that's right. changed. Okay. So uh, the, like what, what, What's happening is the the attackers are going by vulnerabilities that have been publicly um, publicly disclosed, mm. um, and they know like if if something had been in a previous version of WordPress, and then it was shown in the change log that this this type of vulnerability was fixed, mm-hmm. then they're going and they're looking at these historical logs, and then they're finding uh, websites out there that still run the old version. Exactly, because your website mm. won't necessarily update automatically. Some do, no. some don't. Yeah. So we're going to issue a small bit of advice here today for people. And uh, it's just around if you have software installed on your website, that's whether it's WordPress, whether it's Joomla, whether it's Drupal or whatever you have, it's important to keep this up to date all the time. In the same way as you would keep your phone up to date with the latest software updates that come out or yep. your PC with the latest software updates, then your website needs to have the exact same updates as well. It's a pain, but it has to be done. Yeah. yeah. So you can't just install it and say, okay, my website's sitting there and everything looks fine. The software behind the scenes and considering, especially like if you've got an e-commerce website that mm-hmm. you'll have people's login details, you'll have their their address, their phone numbers, email addresses, everything, that if you're running something like that, and, and obviously the purchase history as well, that you have to keep this up to date and secure because if you let this lapse and somebody 
can quite easily then break into your website and download all this information, then all your client's information is in somebody else's hands. Exactly. Mm. And not to mention the fact that if you are running an e-commerce site, it could be your bread and butter. Yes, yeah? exactly. And if yeah. it goes down? If it goes down, like you could come in in the morning and find out that uh, the front page of your website has some malicious um, information or malicious download on it. Yeah. Um, and that, that would really do damage to your brand because if you lose people's trust, if, they're, mm. if they come to your website and they see something that says this website has been hacked or this website is unsafe, then they're going to lose trust and they might not want to spend their money with you in the future. So yeah. you have to protect yourself that way. So And believe me, we're not fear-mongering here because in our day jobs, we see this all the time. We see this yeah. on a daily basis and we see the amount of tax. So like when I'm looking at this thing here now and saying that like what the, the amount of uh, tax, so over a million cyber attacks from Russia in three months, mm. right? That's just Russia alone. And when you think about the amount, some of the top places that they come from are... Uh, Russia, China, mm -hmm. and the USA. Yeah. Right. Um, I think um, Ukraine is probably somewhere on the, I think it it's next be, on the yeah. list as well. So the amount of attacks that are coming, we see it ourselves on a daily, daily basis that these people are constantly trying to brute force their way in with usernames and passwords, or they're trying to put an exploit to get in uh, with something that's in a known old version of a piece of software. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not something that like you can't be assuming that you won't get caught or you won't get hit. There's, these things are just automated scripts out there. They're, they're just going after website after website after website. And they're just trying vulnerability after vulnerability. And it's just another computer or another network of, compu of compromised computers usually. So people who might have gotten a virus on their PC at home, without them even knowing it, their PC in the background is attacking other websites. And once it gets into one, it uploads that information to a central command server and says, right, we have this machine over here, or this website, and we've managed to get this vulnerability. So now you have full access to that. And that then can prompt a real human to go and log in and get the information they want. Precisely, yeah. exactly that, yeah. Yeah, so, and again, uh, besides keeping the stuff up to date, you've got to make sure you've got backups as well. We, 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 we can't stress it as, as, as highly as possible, mm. uh, how important having backups of your data is. And people sometimes kind of ignore the website data. They just think it's, it's sitting there on a server someplace and this, uh, this mythical or magical yeah. server on the internet is, is the be all and end all. But it's not. You have to make sure that it's your, it's your responsibility to have your your data backed up, um, and be aware that these attacks are out there, are happening all the time. All right. Okay. Let's move on, Dave. Um, we've got to look at the Google. Big G. The big G. Your one. Google I/O. When's yeah. this coming up, Dave? Okay. Uh, so I believe it's coming up in May because it was cancelled last year. Um, it was of the coronavirus. It was. It was actually cancelled very early on, back in March, because yeah. they knew, you know, it was going to be a big deal. So, yeah. so we're looking at the 18th to the 20th of May. Um, All right. And I believe it's free. So was it just over a, a month away? Yep. And normally, oh. like normally, you'd have to buy tickets to go to this thing, but it's going to be a free virtual event um, this year. I believe. Tickets before were upward of a thousand dollars or something. I think for they? for general admission, but yeah. uh, for students, I think it was uh, less than five hundred or something. I can't remember exactly. So Google I/O is kind of like it's the same. It's Apple's WWDC. This is Google I/O is the developer conference for 
Google. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Okay. And both will have a keynote to announce something yeah. big or whatever have you. So Google so, is likely to feature Android 12, which is already kind of been announced already. There's yeah. already developer previews out there. So we're talking about the 18th of May will be the keynote yeah. on that one. Yeah. Okay, great. And uh, th- that's, as I say, it's free. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, which is the first time. Uh, cancelled last year. It was. Um, due to obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's back and there's going to be so Android 12 Dave yeah Android um, 12 um, some probably some new phones as well um, and look I don't know like the Pixel phone lineup um, they, they bring out they brought out the 4A last year and the 5 last year I mean numbering where, where's all the numbering coming from yeah again and, <laughs> and, 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 and uh, I, we're, we're probably in the same boat here with yeah. me kind of giving out about uh, which iPad am I looking at? It's like, mm. I, I don't know, like, uh, stop, yeah, stop. See, just, Apple have done a Google yeah, in that front. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and Apple, who previously used to kind of almost kind of brag about the fact that they just had this easy grid mm. that you could kind of say, which which do you want? You want this device? Okay, then what screen size do you want it in and how much storage do you want it in? Yeah. Now it's like, you want this device? Okay, well, do you want the A, V, B, C, D version of it or the Pro or the, the Mini or the Light yep. or the Air or the, and you're like, what's the difference between them? I don't know. Mm. And when you give people that much choice, it may, gives least confusion and if it leads to confusion, then they're sitting there going, I don't know what to buy. I just don't know what to buy and confusion can kill a sale. If you give people three options, mm. they know, they, they kind of say, right, it's A, B, or C, and which one suits my budget? But mm-hmm. the, like at the moment, it can it can. And again, you're you're right in this one. So, like you've got the Pixel Four A, the Pixel Five, which were last October. Yeah. Now Apple do it right when it comes to the iPhone. Uh, most of I'd, the time, most I'd, of the time, most of the time, I'd, I'd, I'd actually think they're kind of gone a bit that way as well. But, but everything, like for example, last year the iPhone 12. So you got the iPhone 12 Plus Max or whatever, right? and the Mini, and the Mini. So, but at yeah. least it's got the 12 in there. And that it, is true. It's consistent, yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. So you know it's the 12 series lineup, except for the iPhone SE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of always been the, the black sheep of the Yeah, iPhone, it's kind of yeah. been the, like, oh, the, the, almost the, the run to the litter kind of thing yeah. of, uh, oh, it's just the also thing. We just forgot about that one over yeah, there in the corner. the one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, right, okay, yeah, I take your point. So iPhone 12, mm. and it's that across the line. Yeah. Right. And numbering's always been like a linear thing. It's consistent. Yeah. So you bring up the number every time you release a new, new device. And you've got the 4A here and you've got the 5. Come on, make up your mind. Which series are you working on? You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And now you're going to go for the 5A. Yeah. And what's the difference between the 5 and the 5A? Well, the 5A is probably going to be the more budget uh, model version of it, I think. But um, So I, it's not like, uh, remember before when iPhone used to come out with the 6 and then the 6S? Yeah. And the S was the speed bump model. So they did a bit of better processor in it or yeah. up the RAM or something like that. Yeah. So you're saying that 5 and then 5A is going to be a lesser one than the 5? I, I think so. And, and it's not like what OnePlus do, because OnePlus bring out, let's say the OnePlus, uh, let's say the OnePlus 9 is out now, right? And maybe yeah. in six months time, they might bring out the OnePlus 9T and the 9T Pro or whatever. But the, the, the T models don't, um, they don't bring out like a, a 9A and then a, a 9T or whatever. You know, you get what I'm trying to say? I know yeah. I'm it a bit confusing. <laughs> like they stick to whatever they're, they're doing. So every phone that they bring out every variation size variation will stick to the same number and letter suffix so 90 or or 9 or 70 80 8 7 whatever you know yeah. that sort of thing so at least they're consistent and it's not as confusing but with what google are doing here it just doesn't make sense 
No, it, yeah. I didn't explain that very well. I do apologize <laughs> to the listeners for that. But, uh, well, I it think sounded good in my head yeah. at first. I think by your explanation, yeah. you have conveyed how confusing all this is. Well, there we go. That's a public yeah. service in yeah. itself right there. If Dave has confused you as much as he has just confused me, then, I think, then I think we have conveyed across to Google what they're doing to everybody. Sort it out, Google. Sort yes, it out. Yes, exactly, yeah. Right, and speaking of something A, then... Uh, oh, the, boy. The, here we go, the Pixel Buds A. <laughs> you, okay, so you said, the, you said the Pixel Buds came out last year, right? Yeah. So let me see, is this going to be like a cut-down version of the Pixel Buds or is it going to be a, uh, yeah, a, a successor? Of, a successor, there is the word, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, <laughs> that's yeah. That that's even adding more to the confusion here now. Um, okay, look. I tell you what. They'll be available in in different colors. Oh, great! Nice, brilliant. Yeah, and uh, actually, <laughs> it's, the uh, the the device color thing. I know I gave out about the Apple TV a while ago and the horizontal scrolling. Can I have yeah. another rant, please? This whole thing of device coloring that they that they come out with and they say available in five new colors, mm. right? As though like it's this revolutionary thing. Yeah. Like, can you imagine watching an ad for clothes or a car and saying we brought out the new BMW? And it's available in three colors. Hot pink. Yeah. <laughs> and, or we've got this new jumper available from whatever label manufacturer. Mm. And it's available in four different colors. It's like, why yeah. is this endemic to the computer industry? But you know, Apple are terrible for that as well. Like, you know, yeah. Apple will bring out a new color and then they'd have a clip from Johnny Ive or whatever come on about how elegant it is. And it was constructed mm. from, I don't know, the, the genes of um, uh, some... A dinosaur. Dinosaur, there you go. That's it, yeah. And molten lava from the courtier. Something rare that only Apple can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, the, the color thing has always fascinated me. Now... I understand back in like when the iMac came out first mm. when they were talking about the late 90s. Oh yeah, right, it was a new that thing. It, it was the first time computers actually probably had a bit of colour in them yeah, because everything, beige. they were just beige, horrible mm. boxes. Yeah. And now you had computers that had a funky design and colour. Mm -hmm. right? And okay, that's fine, done once. But over the years, oh, we've got three new colours of iPhones, we've got four new colours of Google Pixels, we've got Samsungs that come in, whatever. It's like, so what? And the names they come up for all these yeah. colours too. I know, yeah, that's it. That, I would, don't even get started on that. We, we could be here for the rest of the night. But it's, it's just, stop, lads. Stop with this thing of the fact that, like, you can make a device out of a different colour. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not new. Concentrate on what the device is supposed to be. Produce as many colours as you want, but don't make it a big news announcement. We're coming out with this new phone and it's available in gold and silver and space grey. Space grey. Yeah. And white. It's like, Jesus, are, are we at that point in evolution where making a phone a different colour is news? No. Mm. Move on. All right. Okay. And we'll move on as well, Dave, because otherwise I'd say we'd probably rant away for the evening here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Microsoft have also announced their new Surface laptops. How many colours does that come in? <laughs> <laughs> Four. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> um, but significantly, the uh, actual thing about it is that you can get AMD and Intel CPUs. And you're in love with AMD at the moment. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, and, and it's not that Intel are bad. It's just they're, mm. they're not innovating at the moment. That's the problem. Yeah. And they say these things are supposed to be up to 70% faster than the Surface 3. 
Mm. Right, and they're coming in fifth. Uh, what is it? Fifteen inch uh, screens and thirteen point five inch screens, with uh, Intel's eleventh generation core uh, chip or AMD's Ryzen. Ryzen four thousand series. They're not doing the five thousand series, but just we came out. I think uh, at CES or it was announced at CES. Oh, I think it was actually. It yeah, was, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the 5000 series are not going to be available, but um, the 4000 series at the time last year when it came out were touted as being revolutionary. So yeah. I wouldn't think that's a bad thing. No, it's not. No. no. Yeah, it's grand. So they're claiming up uh, over 11 hours of battery life on... Um, Vast improvement. Well, actually, oh, sorry, no. Sorry, it was uh, the Surface 3 had 11 hours and they're saying that these are up to 19, 19. hours. Oh, wow. So, so you're talking about an all-day device, really. Yeah, yeah, looks like it. And they support fast charging and uh, they have um, NVMe SSDs in it. Yes, with an access hatch as well that you can use to replace it. If oh, you really? Need. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. Exactly. So uh, right. you probably don't need to tear it apart. Ah, yeah. okay. That, that's actually quite a good move from them, actually. I, 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 do, I do agree with that. Praising mm. upgradability. We'll always praise upgradability here. Yeah. Simple <laughs> as that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Okay. Yeah, it looks like it's a good buy, but it's not going to be cheap, I wouldn't think. No, um, they're going to be starting at around a thousand euros anyway. Yeah, easy. Um, so, yeah, you're not looking at your your kind of entry level market here on this. No. So, um, at the moment, they're only available in the USA, Canada, and Japan, but uh, their UK and Ireland is probably coming pretty soon. Probably, yeah. yeah so, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. You've been listening to Tech Post, a Limerick Post podcast in association with Limerick City Community Radio. If you have any questions or topics you would like to see covered, please email tech at limerickpost.ie. The show is produced by Eric Fitzgerald and the theme music is kindly supplied by Dylan Flynn and Dead Poets. You can follow Limerick Post on Twitter at Limerick Post. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it wherever you get your podcasts.